Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is that repetitive thing where effectively system one, or we would call it the intuitive system, turns around and says, Ryan seems to be doing this a lot. I'm now going to make this a habit so he doesn't have to think, in quotes, about it. There's a reason why good habits are so difficult to form and bad habits are so easy to form. And it, it has to do with the nature of the reward. I habitually are just going to ignore whatever you say, and I'm going to just tell you this stat anyway. I mean, that is very rewarding. <laughs> Ignoring me is very rewarding. I've got to have you on the show for some reason, mate. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Ryan, do you buy anything uh, on Black Friday? Oh, I thought you were going to ask if I buy anything um, because you're going to accuse me of sh just shoplifting all the time again. Um, <laughs> well, technically, like, that wouldn't be buying, would it? Right, that's what I'm that saying. That would be stealing. Do you buy anything, Ryan, <laughs> or do you just steal? Um, I do buy. I don't buy on Black Fridays if, if it requires me to go out in public. Um, I might right. do it online, but no, yes. I'm terrified of people as a general rule. Yes. <laughs> so the the reason I mention that is because I don't know about you now, but I just buy everything on Amazon. Yeah. I just have this habit now of just, if I want something, I just go to Amazon is my first point of call. And in fact, not even my first point of call, it's normally my only point of call. And particularly when it comes to Black Friday and everything. And, you know, when I when I then look at some of the their their competition, you know, I've been on to other websites occasionally, obviously recently, and they go and delivery is gonna take five days and they haven't got a returns or a very good returns policy, or the returns is gonna cost you five dollars to send it back or something like that. And I just think why am I doing you know any of that? They're just so many organizations seems just so far behind Amazon still. Ten years ago, you you could understand it, but so it made me think about just habits and how would an organization come in and break that habit of mine? And how do companies, if a customer is in a habit, then how does an organization break a habit? So I thought we we're going to talk about that today. It's a great topic. It seems like people have, companies have been very, very interested in customer habits for a long time and justifiably. I think, I think it's fair to characterize a lot of our consumer behavior as habitual. There's lots and lots of things that we buy just out of habit or that we buy in the same way because of habit. So yeah, it's a great topic. I know we've talked about habits before, but let's remind the listener. Notice I said listener because yeah, there's the one guy out there. there. Steve, <laughs> thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mum. 
Do you want to explain what habits are from a psychological perspective and all that usual stuff? There are a couple of key distinguishing features of habits that um, so that allow us to tell them apart from other things. One is that habits are initiated by some kind of environmental cue. So something happens around us, and then the automatic part of our brain says, oh, I know what's supposed to happen here. And the intuitive system kicks in and provides us with a script or with a nudge or with a, a you know, kind of set of desires or maybe a memory, it kind of smooths the path. And so it says like, this is the easy thing to do in response to this cue. And then we get some reward typically from having done that easy action. And then that reinforces the habit over time. So cue response reward is the, the general path. So as an example, last time I went to a conference over the weekend, that means I always spend a lot of time waiting for elevators because like everybody's trying to get between floors at the same time. And so uh, next time you're, you're waiting for an elevator, that's an environmental cue. There's a part of your brain that's registering that. that says, well, I, I know what's supposed to happen here. Oftentimes what happens is in that cue, the response to that cue is, oh, well, now's a good time to pull out my phone and check my email or, or read a little bit of news. And so that, that environmental cue nudges me in the direction of pulling out my phone and I get some kind of, you know, dopamine or brain chemical response uh, rewards me for having taken that action. And so then therefore I, I do it again the next time as well. Yeah. The interesting bit for me is that I was looking at my phone the other day and I noticed that what Apple had done was they basically had suggested that I would normally at this point of the morning listen to I listened to Radio 4 in England, okay, BBC Radio 4. I would normally do that, and it was suggesting that I did that, yeah? And it's the same thing, isn't it? So we've got, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but we've got the rational mind, and we've got the intuitive mind. And if we do things, you know, the first time you ever stood at a lift, uh, elevator, I'm in America, I should say elevator, not lift. Thank you for translating um, that. <laughs> you know, you go, well, what am I going to do? I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is that repetitive thing where effectively system one, or we would call it the intuitive system, turns around and says, Ryan seems to be doing this a lot. I'm now going to make this a habit so he doesn't have to think, in quotes, about it. He just, you know, it becomes an automatic routine that you do. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, so I guess that's, in fact, thinking about it, let me ask you a question. Would that include driving home? So it you can, know, you know, right? Okay, so that that as well, you know, because I've said to many people in the past, how many people drive home from work and go, I don't remember driving home. You know, that that's all being done by your intuitive system. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess the way that, these things. So not everything that our intuitive system does for us is a, a habit, although the intuitive system drives habits. So all habits are kind of driven by the intuitive system, but not everything the intuitive system does is a habit. The way I would characterize it is sometimes you can drive home based on the intuitive system where you kind of are not paying attention. You're think, your rational system is thinking about something else. And the intuitive system takes over parts of the driving. But there will be parts of that drive home that I think are very habitual. So a lot of us, every time we get into our car or we get out of our car, engage in this kind of habitual 
pattern of decisions, right? You might place your coffee cup in the cup holder and then you turn your car on and then you adjust the radio and then you just sit and you do it all in the kind of the same order. And that would be habitual. You know, you may make your, your route choices on the way home in a habitual manner. So like, as you get to a certain intersection, your automatic, the intuitive part of your brain says, well, I know what happens here. Here's where we turn right. Right. So both of those things can be happening. Uh, it, when you space out and don't, don't kind of recognize the last 10 minutes of, of driving, that's not necessarily a habit, although that is still the intuitive system. But a lot of the parts of your drive home are, are almost certainly habitual. Let's dive into this more because I think the angle that I was planning to take with this podcast is looking into how you can change a customer's habit. So we all know that customers have habits. We all have habits in many different walks of, of life. So the issue for me becomes if your customer is buying your competitive product or service, then and they're doing that habitually, how do you change that? Okay. And and what we, what we've come up with is seven rules to change your customers' habits. Okay. So rule number one is identify that habit and that loop that people are in. So again, what Ryan said was it's to do with the cue, yeah, or the trigger. It's to do with, you know, what then the routine is or the behavior that you're undertaking. And then it's to do with the reward that you get. Okay. So I think the first thing is, and you can build this into, by the way, your your journey maps. And when we do journey maps, you know, we absolutely are looking for habits. The interesting bit becomes where is that cue? Where is that trigger? What does that look like? And that clearly could look different for many different people, couldn't it? And that's usually the hard part of this, right? So the, the behavior is very easy to identify, the routine or the behavior. If you're trying to change your customer's habits, you're probably trying to change a behavior that involves them buying from your competition, right? So yeah. you can identify the behavior very easily. They're buying brand X instead of our brand. We want to change that. That's easy. The reward is also likely like pretty easy. The reason that they keep buying brand X is because that's the easiest choice for them. And so by avoiding that cognitive effort of redeciding every time they go to the store, the hardest part of this is identifying the trigger. So in order for, for this to be a, a habitual model, we need to figure out, well, like what's, what's the cue, what's the trigger that's starting this behavior? Yeah. If it's a grocery store purchase, it might be them walking into that aisle of the grocery store. So I use the example of like buying toothpaste. For a lot of us, that's not a well-considered decision every time we go to the store. We usually I have a struggle over that decision every time, mate. Colin brings a chair with him <laughs> to the grocery store, sets it up in the toothpaste aisle, and I says, read all the packets. Figure I just, this just, out. Yeah. They come Absolutely. by and they say, sir, once you were here three weeks ago um, with your chair, <laughs> and he says, yes, but it's a new month, and it's time I, to make this decision again. I get out my decision criteria, and That's I right. look down at a spreadsheet. Which, <laughs> if you take it down to toothpaste, it's actually quite surprising, isn't it? How many people just buy the, I think Lorraine, my wife, we buy Aquafresh and have done for about the last 40 years. And all those other toothpaste brands who have come out with new products in those 40 years are crying because you've never even considered them. Because 
why would you? You know, you're you're in this habit that provides you the benefit of not having to torture yourself with this decision. As you you and Lorraine go grocery shopping and you walk into the aisle, there's a good chance you know exactly where in the aisle it is. And so you go straight there. I would would suggest that for you, it's likely walking into that aisle, your intuitive system goes, oh, I know where we go. Like, go right here. And then you follow that script. You go straight to that location. As you're mapping this out, this is very important. Like, figure out what is activating the habitual behavior that you eventually want to change. Uh, It's a very important part in this. You know, even um, as you mentioned, going into a grocery store, then there's nothing more annoying, is there? than when the grocery store changes the layout of the grocery yes, store. The big problem. So you you can't just walk in and go, I know exactly where it is. In fact, Lorraine phoned me the other day and she said, where are the wraps? And I had to explain to her where in the store were were the wraps, which is um, quite interesting. I guess the issue for me is, and the bit that I, I want to uh, reinforce, because you said, Ryan, you know, this is about competition. But it's also when you want to change your customer's habit from one channel to another. So stop phone calls, get people to buy things online. With the advent of um, AI and that being rolled out over the next few years, I'm sure there's going to be lots of occasions where you want to start to move your customer into a different channel for you to deal with them. Let's go on to rule number two of the seven. Once you've identified where that habit is, bear in mind the objective here is that we're trying to change the customer's habit. We need to introduce a new cue to replace the existing one, don't we? Yes. So part of the reason that we we go through that step number one, identifying the different stages in the habit loop, is so that we can now start to explore interventions into that loop, right? So if you are trying to reach people after the habit has been activated, in other words, after they've encountered that cue or that trigger, it's a really hard thing to do, right? Because we're now in automatic mode and we're just acting towards it. So if you want to change habits, the easiest way, the most effective way to do it is to disrupt that cue. So can you introduce a new cue? Can you modify the, the cue or the trigger that they that they currently have so that it, it starts to do something else instead? But that's why we want to figure out where the queue is. That's that's the point of entry, um, is getting right there. So going back to toothpaste, uh, one of the the like the practical ways of, of combating a ha- habit is if you can like get an end cap display in the grocery store. So now your toothpaste is out of the toothpaste aisle. People are going to encounter it in a different part of the store, and that the goal there is that when they encounter your new toothpaste brand they're not in habit mode, that the queue hasn't been activated. And so they will evaluate your toothpaste in a different light. And and perhaps you can get them to try it. Yeah. And I I was thinking about examples of this. So so that's a good example. Uh, Another example from the toothpaste thought was we really should have gotten a brand to sponsor this. Yeah, we should have. Well, you see, you see, even I tell you what, you're on song today, mate, because you're coming up with some good suggestions. So when you talk about sponsoring the brands, this this is actually uh, ties into my next point, which is that when you fly, you get given a a little bag of travel, you know, with your eye mask, etc., and you also get given a little bit of toothpaste, don't you? If you're uh, on a long haul, we got loads of bloody things. And I was thinking to myself the other day as I I saw this and I started thinking about this whole habits thing was. I wonder whether 
company buys those or buys those, the airline buys them from Colgate or whoever it may be and buys them at a discount because actually the company has recognized that this is a good way to, to break the mold yeah, and, and get you to try, uh, to try it. Why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. Some other examples that I thought of was we've just been to Nashville for the weekend. There's like a welcome basket when you walk into the in into the room and putting things there. Um, my daughter has just had a baby. She was given loads of diapers or nappies, as, as we would call them in England, you know, and other other products because it's at a time of change. And the other one that I think is organizations really miss out on is being opportunistic when something goes wrong they don't sort of have a a contingency plan when something goes wrong if you go into the just to make it simple you go into the grocery aisle and you're going to go and buy your aqua fresh uh that they haven't got any aqua fresh then you know what else is next to it or whatever it may be maybe even look similar being opportunistic as i i think is a real game changer and an example i would give of that is that uh, i'm platinum on delta okay so the highest level but clearly occasionally i have to travel with other airlines but i've still got my platinum badge okay or you know on, on my luggage and my computer rucksack etc i'm surprised that people don't see that and then either offer me an upgrade or something to turn around and go well this this person clearly travels a lot uh, now he's coming on our flight. May, this is an opportunity for us to grab him as a high-value frequent flyer, and they don't. So I don't think they look at things, organizations uh, look at it enough from, a, from an opportunistic perspective. Yeah, I like that. Okay, number three is make the transition easy. Okay, so again, let's go back to it. You've identified the habit loop. You've put in place the new cue what you now need to do is to make the transition easy and minimize any any barriers that there may be for for change because making a habit easy and user friendly is is really key particularly if you're now comparing this with i don't know phoning up a call center what you don't want to do uh, so here's an example of that actually thinking about it i went into a restaurant the other day and we we talked about this a little while ago the QR codes on iPads, you know, when you've got, during COVID, people moved to QR codes. That's not easy. I mean, when you're when they're saying to you, just go onto this, you know, scan this QR code, now put in there what you want. And I'm spending 10 minutes trying to work the bloody system out or Lorraine drinks orange juice and lemonade, trying to combine two drinks together. There's just no facility for it. And that's just a pain in the neck, which is one of the reasons why I don't think it's sort of taken off. When you're approaching habit change, the important thing to keep in mind is that we, we evolved into habits as a way of making things easier for us. Like habits make things easier for us. And so if the process of trying to break somebody out of a habit 
requires lots of effort on their part, there's a very good chance it's not going to work. They're doing it because it's easy. And so requiring lots of effort of them to change and, and to create new habits is is working against the, the their natural inclination in that setting. Yeah, and and here's a real, I think, good example of that, okay? How many people have now moved to just paying with their phone, okay? Because it's just so easy. You just don't need cash, you know? Because it's just so easy. You just have to click a couple of times, put it up against the reader, done. Uh, and now we're all into going, that's a habit. And in fact, the interesting bit is that when you go and do that, I, I do it with my watch. And you go and do that, uh, and they go, oh, you can't, do, you can't do that on our system. And you think, bloody hell, have I actually got to get my credit card all the way out of my wallet? I'm <laughs> for that. Uh, I think that, that that's a great example. So there's lots of stuff that we want our customers to do because it's very good for us. But the new habit that we want them to create is actually more effortful for them than the previous habit that they had, right? And that's really not going to work very well. Change is always difficult, right? So moving from um, paper airline tickets to an app requires a transition and, and learning to do different things. But once you do, it's so much easier, right? You don't need to keep track of these extra papers. You don't need to make an extra stop when you get to And so there's the, the, the initial hump of change, but then when you get on the other side of it, it's a much easier habit. And that's what you want to look for. So it's not going to be enough to like introduce a new cue, introduce a new behavior. Overall, the system has to be easier for your customers if you want it to stick. That actually ties into rule four and rule five. So rule four is you need to provide a compelling reward. The reward can't be less than the reward of their old habit. It needs to be more than the reward of their old habit. And that could be it's just saving them time. It could be that you're offering them some form of discount or loyalty points. So here's here's my, my biggest insight about habits. So uh, we've talked about the intuitive and the rational systems a little bit. Uh, habits is very much an intuitive thing. I think where a lot of companies get it wrong, and honestly, a lot of us where we get it wrong when we try to instill habits in ourselves, there's a reason why good habits are so difficult to form and bad habits are so easy to form. And it, it has to do with the nature of the reward. So the intuitive system is what drives these habits. The intuitive system is not indifferent between all kinds of rewards. The intuitive system responds better to certain types of rewards than others. And those rewards tend to be rewards of ease, rewards of reduced effort, rewards of things that taste good, that feel good, that are hedonic. So if we like... We want to form a habit of like running every morning so that we can live longer and look great in bathing suit season in six months. Like <laughs> system one in the intuitive system does not care about any of that. System one does not care about your retirement. System one doesn't care about what's going to happen to you in 20 years. System one is interested in what happens now. Your intuitive system loves the reward of staying in bed rather than getting up and going running. So if we want to form a habit, like, and if you, want, if you want your customers to form a habit, the reward has to be an intuitive reward. So make them feel good now. A social reward, that can work. Or some kind of 
reward that's that's very hedonic in nature, that's you know delicious or that uh, is empowering. Or, but they they need to feel it now, um, as opposed to an abstract reward like if you accumulate enough points, then four months from now you'll be able to get it. Like that's that's not going to be the way to form a habit. It has to be visceral. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Rule number five is educate and communicate. If you have made this change, you need to train people on it, okay? I'll give you an example of that. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we'd been to Nashville for the weekend. Uh, we did Airbnb. Again, just think about you know all of these you know, Uber, Airbnb. They've changed people's habits in the way they've booked uh, holidays and all the rest of it, uh, vacations and travel, taxis, etc. I was confronted with this thing called Key Cafe to pick up the keys, okay, because, uh, you know, there, there was no no one there to pass the keys over. But one of the things they did was that they provided a really good video that just explained it, you know. So I don't know about you, but my habit is if anything ever goes wrong, then the first thing I do now is to go onto YouTube and and put it in YouTube. Someone has created a video on it and walks you through the, the steps. Yeah, I had to replace the LED light panel in my refrigerator and the manufacturer was terrible. Like I, th- I think they wanted a technician to do it. Luckily, some dude named Carl from you know Montana. Uh, Shout out uh, to Carl. Yeah, <laughs> uploaded a three minute video that explained how to fix this refrigerator light panel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm the same way. I will say, as we are educating and communicating, don't mistake this for a a rational, persuasive exercise. That's where companies go wrong. Like, we're going to explain to you all the benefits of using this new system. That's fine. That's not going to be a way to instill a habit, though. Your education and communication should be about, you know, going back to the previous point, making it easy. This video explaining this new system all of that is reducing these barriers, making it more intuitively rewarding so that it is more likely to be a habit going forward. So don't don't try to persuade them. Don't level them with arguments. That's not going to form a habit. Make it easy. Make it intuitive. Make it rewarding through your education and your communication. I'm not going to go into this now, but there's a there's clearly a whole area of segmentation here. So, you know, different people are going to respond to different forms of education delivered in different ways. And therefore, videos are great. But there is some form of investment that the organization needs to make when they're changing the customer's habit. Number six is reinforce the new habit. Okay, don't assume just because somebody's done it once that they're now going to do it forever. Okay, you've got to keep reinforcing that until the habit has changed. Uh, I believe this stat is rubbish, Ryan. Um, So I don't know why I'm going to tell you that, but there you go. It is. Uh, Before you even tell me what it is, it is. (laughs) But you Uh, habitually are going to tell me anyway, so go ahead. (laughs) I habitually are just going to ignore whatever you say, and I'm going to just tell you this stat anyway. (laughs) I mean, that is very rewarding. Ignoring me is very rewarding. I've got to have you on the show for some reason, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I know that there is a stat that flies around, which I believe is actually wrong, uh, which says that you need to read. Somebody doesn't pick up a habit until they've done it 21 times. Yes. Yes. I've heard that stat many times. It is absolutely wrong. 
But there's that old saying about um, statistics where uh, it, actually it's probably not about statistics, it's about something else. But statistics what, are like sometimes baking models cakes or something. Models are, are always wrong, but sometimes <laughs> useful. I think that stat is wrong, but it is useful in that it reinforces this idea that we habits need reinforcing. You need to do them multiple times. Going back to this good habit versus bad habit thing, to instantiate a good habit might take like way longer than 21 days, right? It, you might yes. need to do that for months or years before a good habit is installed because the rewards are not very well aligned with your intuitive system. Bad habits, you can form almost immediately. You know, you have a, a snack before bedtime and your intuitive system loves that. You can get form that habit in two days, right? So you, there's wide variation there. I don't trust the stat at all. But the idea that it needs to be reinforced to become a habit, that is absolutely true. Yeah, and that actually is interesting, isn't it? Because it speaks to frequency of the interaction, basically. So if you think about the cash example, because you're paying for something two or three times a day, whatever it may be, it doesn't take as long as if if a customer is only contacting you once a year uh, and, you know, you need to, to change things. Yeah, I am. Um, Last one. Well, let me, um, I, let, let me habitually on. interrupt you. Um, yeah, please uh, do. <laughs> no, I, I worked with a, an insurance company, a health insurer, and they developed a new app that they were very proud of. And they, they said, we want to make using the app a, a habit for our customers um, rather than using the website or calling in. And I said, I've got bad news for you. Like, I, I just don't think people engage with their health insurer often enough that it's going to become a habit. I don't think it's reinforced enough, right? I think that most of us turn to our health insurer for information when we want to switch doctors or when we have a problem with the claim, but it's not something that like payment where we're doing it multiple times a day or even multiple times a month. And so I just, I don't think habit is the right model for that. Yes. A health insurance company in the UK, I was just thinking about that they're trying to get you from, to stop you phoning them and to, go online and do it but i have to say i've tried going online it's a pain in the neck and they've got no no help so i just keep phoning them which is a pain as well but there you go that's another another pain last one uh and this ties into that actually uh which is be patient yes so rule number seven be patient because some of these changes aren't going to happen overnight in the case of as the example i was just giving there of uh, the healthcare company you've got to take customer feedback. If you want the change to be permanent, you've got to work out whether the thing that you think is going to happen and the reason why the, the compelling reward that you've built in is actually a, a compelling reward. Uh, and if it's not, then you need to change it to make sure that it is. And that may change by segment, obviously. And all of Absolutely. this may change by segment. Yeah, there's, there's no way of destroying memories in your customers, and there's no way of destroying habits in your customers. Instead, you have to kind of overwrite them, right? So you give them a more compelling habit or something that is done more frequently, that is more rewarding, but that doesn't mean the other habit just is gone immediately. And so this overwriting process can, in some instances, take time. And so this has to be a long-term plan for this transition. So yeah, be patient, plan ahead. So let me go down the list again. So to summarize, seven rules 
are identify the habitual loop or the habit loop that your customers are in. Uh, once you've identified that, introduce a new cue to alter their behavior. Make sure that it's easy. That's rule number three. You don't want to make it hard. You want to make it easy. Uh, rule number four is provide a compelling reward. So make sure that the reward is is instant. And as Ryan was saying, you know, make it more emotional. Don't just think that someone's going to think, oh, this will be great in 20 years time. Number five, educate and communicate. You have to make some investments there for you to do it. Uh, number six, reinforce the new habit. Don't just assume because a customer's done it once or twice that they're going to carry on doing it. You have to reinforce it over a period of time. And number seven is be patient. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, changing habits, as we all know, takes time. Be patient in your change. So we hope that's been of, of use and we look forward to talking to you next week on the show. Okay. Cheers, everybody. See ya. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.